Welcome to the Work Matters Podcast, where we discuss what matters at work and how to make it better. Research shows the primary factors of happiness include health, social relationships, and our experiences, or how we spend each day. For some people, or for many people, when it comes to daily experiences, this third factor is largely about our work. When it comes to leading a happy and fulfilling life, work really matters. Work dictates so much about our day-to-day experiences. It affects our sense of fulfillment, it affects our health, and often becomes a centerpiece of our relationships. This podcast starts with the premise that when people lead healthier, happier lives, everyone benefits. We become better mothers, fathers, brothers, sisters, neighbors, and yes, we become better, more productive employees. Our well-being matters, and so in each episode, we'll explore a specific topic related to the experience of work with a focus on understanding why it matters and how to make it better. I'm Robert Richardson, here with Steve Hunt. Steve, what matters at work today? Money matters, Robert. Do you have enough money? I, so I, uh, do I have enough money? I think there have been times in my life, Steve, where I had uh, almost nothing and uh, was just scraping by and trying to get through college. And I think there have been uh, times later in my life, uh, later in my career, where I felt a whole lot more comfortable. Yeah, I think the thing, you know, the reality about work and money is that money does matter. It has a very big impact, obviously, on our happiness and our stress. And it's one of those things where you, you never seem to have the right amount. Uh, you know, and so I think what we're, you know, you kind of look at this and I think a lot of people at work, they struggle with this with money. So, you know, I, I kind of look at money, like the psychology of it says money doesn't buy happiness per se, but it definitely can create a lot of depression. So, you know, what are some of the things that you've dealt with when you think about money and work? How does it affect your work? Well, uh, you know, I think, uh, going back to what I said earlier, I think, you know, sometimes you're absolutely struggling to make ends meet and it's, uh, it's stressful and challenging. I think there have been times in college, for instance, when uh, I had barely enough to put in the gas tank, you know, and that's stressful for one reason, right? But, you know, as, as sometimes you become more comfortable and maybe more established in your career, you can get uncomfortable for other reasons, like raising a family and, and trying to figure out how to, you know, put, put away enough for them for college. So, it, you know, it feels to me like money can be stressful almost no matter where you are along that continuum. And I think you hit on something that's so key about money. It's not just about how much you get. It's about how much you're spending, right? And it, those two things. And I think that we often cannot control at work how much we get, but we definitely do have a lot of control on over how it's spent. And that's where today we're really lucky because we're going to be talking with Elise Glink, who is a specialist in management of money, sort of making the most out of the money that you have. She's the founder of a company called Best Money Moves. It makes a technology application to help employees understand their finances. She's worked in this field for years, has authored dozens of books, including a book best-selling 100 Questions Every First-Time Homebuyer Should Ask. She's got nearly 1 million books in print. She's the founder and editor of Equifax Finance Blog and is the publisher of several web things, including thinklink.com, which is a site dedicated to helping people make the most of their money. So really excited to have her on here. Elise, welcome to the show. Uh, Steve and Robert, it's great to be here. So why did you, I always start with the first question about, you know, sort of work matters. Why does this matter to you, this topic of managing money? How did you get focused on this as your own work? You know, I think that how people spend money, how people live in their houses has always been interesting to me. I remember when I was a kid, my favorite thing was going over to my friends' houses 
to play with them, but also to see what their houses looked like. I had this insatiable curiosity about how people lived in their homes. And then that combined with money and finance, my grandfather used to sit and watch the stock market ticker tape on TV when I was a kid. And I would sit with him and it was kind of really nice bonding time for the two of us. And he taught me about the stock market. And I thought, wow, I wonder if there are other people who don't know this. And in fact, there were a lot of people who didn't understand how all that worked. And I decided helping people make those moves, those best money moves, was really the best thing I could do with my life. And so off to the races. Wow, that's so interesting. Sort of, you know, kind of raised thinking about money. And I think, well, how does that, you know, going back to this issue of money, because it's one of those things that's ubiquitous, but people don't tend to talk about it. How does it impact the experience of work for most people? Well, I think that, you know, you work for one reason, to pay your bills. I know that people want to be engaged and they want to be enriched and they want to have like large, wonderful work lives. And I think all of that is really great. But at the end of the day, if the work you're doing doesn't pay your bills, you're going to either have to supplement it or find a new job. And when people start to think about work that way and they think about paying their bills and how they make all of those ends meet, how they make it all work. I think work takes on a little bit of a different character for them. And maybe this is how you get out of sort of the naive, the naivety of your, of your early jobs, right? That I'm going to get something that makes my life, you know, that much better to how am I going to balance the need that I have to feed myself and clothe myself and place to live with what I want to do in life. And people have different solutions for that. I think that's interesting because I think when you look at people's jobs, and this is just my general life experience, most people, money is not the most important thing about work for them. It's, you know, the kind of work they do. But if money does drop below certain levels, it suddenly becomes a really important thing. So is there, are there patterns when you look at this when people that are managing their money and effectively are there patterns and sort of like how people get into issues with, having to deal with money issues? Is there sort of common things you see? Well, I think you hit on it in the introduction. I was listening to you and Robert talk. And truly, the key to happiness with money is spending less than you bring in, however it is you bring that in. But for a lot of people, they don't understand this balance of inflow and outflow, or what we in the business world would refer to as cash flow, right? So how your money comes in, how you spend it, what you spend it on, how you make those choices, how you balance out the spending so that it aligns with the way that income comes in, and what are the things that you choose to do. The other problem that people run into way too often is that they get, um, they fall into the hands of fraudsters and con artists and scams. And so a lot of times people make enough and they're okay with their spending, but they make poor choices for the people that they either use to invest their money or they invest with, or you just can't always account for, you know, who's not telling you the truth. And so there's, it's interesting to see how scams really push some people right over the money edge. Wow. So, you know, I think when they talk in business about profit and loss all the time, and it sounds like what you're saying is people focus too much on the profit side and not enough on the loss side. <laughs> well, if the loss translates into spending, I would I would disagree and flip that around. I think they spend a lot of time on what, you know, the money outflow and not enough time thinking about how to balance it. And it's really all about balancing, right? You're going to have sort of your basic expenses, but what I found over the years, even with my most educated friends, is that they never 
think about money that way. They don't, their idea of, you know, cash flow is, well, I have money at the, in my bank account at the end of the month, so I'm doing fine. But this larger idea of how money comes in, how to plan with it, how to make it work the hardest way it can for you, that seems to escape them. And I mean, people with, who are doctors and lawyers and have PhDs and several PhDs, this just doesn't connect for them on a very basic level. That's interesting. So you say this isn't something that has to do with how much money you have. It really is about how you think about money. Now, you, you mentioned at the beginning there earlier that you said there's sort of two reasons that people get into money issues. One is they just don't think about it. The other is they do fall into some sort of like scam or fraud. How? Let's start on the first one a little bit. I mean, just what are the reasons that people get themselves into money issues aside from a con artist or something? And we'll, we talk about that in a second. Just like you know, for sort of a regular person, how do they get into the situation of suddenly not having enough money? Because I don't think people set out to be broke. <laughs> well, not unless they read that book, Die Broke, in which case you are indeed looking to be broke when you die. But okay. it's the rest of your life you've got to pay for. No, I, I think yeah. yeah, you got to be able to pick when you're going to die if that's going to work, and that's kind of hard. <laughs> I've never understood that, uh, that whole concept, but that's, a, that's probably for another podcast. Um <laughs> You know, I think that the psychology of money is interesting. When you, It's well documented that when you start to run into money troubles, the first thing you do is try to ignore it. You put your head in the sand, you're like an ostrich, and you just try to imagine it's all going to go away. And of course, money issues don't go away. And we're seeing it already, you know, every time we get into um, sort of a larger financial crisis in this country. We saw it back, for example, in 2008 to 10, when millions of people got into real trouble. And what they stopped doing was opening their mail. Literally, they didn't open the mail. And so whatever offers came in from their mortgage company to do a forbearance or to do a loan modification, they didn't see it because they didn't read the mail. And that got them into even more trouble. And I think even just regular times, if you're having short, uh, running short of money, for example, and you're running into a bill paying problem, um, you think maybe, well, I'm just going to let that sit aside and time will take care of it, but it doesn't. So this, I, this natural instinct we have to push away things related to money, I'm not a psychologist or, or a psychiatrist, but just from my interactions with tens of thousands of people over the course of my career, I think a lot of it has to do with this kind of uh, you know inequity we feel in our lives or this ability to, you know, we think money is like, brain surgery. So it's really hard to deal with. But in fact, it's a lot easier to deal with than brain surgery. And something that I would never tackle, by the way. But but I firmly believe that 95% or more of every single thing you need to do in your financial life, you can learn to do yourself. And really, at the end of the day, Steve, nobody else cares about your money as much as you do, or you should, right? Because you're the one who works for it and you miss things in your children's lives for it and you travel for it and you put up with all sorts of stuff that's uncomfortable for it and, and maybe even worse. And so at the end of the day, who cares? Yeah. Well, I think what you hit on, you know, is such an important thing. I'm sorry. You, on the on this idea of it starts, the first step is just to acknowledge it and embrace it. It's, it's it reminds me of a lot of, they talk about the health issues. A lot of people have a tendency to ignore health issues instead of sort of acknowledge and manage them. Um, but ignoring it will not make it get better. And I think that as you're saying, is the first is probably people just being comfortable with it, which it does have sort of an emotional stigma 
what are there any things I think because when you look at people and relationships because the research shows that one of the biggest causes of like relationship stress actually is money and money arguments if somebody is saying man we really have to get serious about our money maybe it's that first step in acknowledging is there any advice or suggestions you have for people that say hey our household has got to rethink the way we're spending how do you start that conversation in a way that it doesn't turn into a fight um large bottle of wine uh, <laughs> just kidding i although that has worked in the past um you know i think that this starts back when you're dating somebody. A lot of times I'll hear from people and they'll say, I, I have credit card debt or I have student loan debt. I don't know how to tell my fiance about it. And I think to myself, wow, that's a conversation you might have wanted to have like at the beginning of this relationship before you've invested so much in it. But if you are, you know, wherever you are in your relationship, if you're hiding money purchase, you know, money expenses, um, financial issues, problems, things that you're afraid or embarrassed to share with the person that you share all your intimate things with in life. You have to examine why that is. What are you afraid of? Are you afraid of rejection? Are you afraid of them looking down at you? Are you afraid that you don't measure up and you're not as good as you pretend to be? Well, all of us feel that way. And so what I say to people and I counsel them is, you know, you have to be honest. So write down the worst of it. What is it that you're most afraid of telling the other person. And then start to think about, once you write it down, it automatically becomes less scary. Not to say it's not significant, it's just less scary. And then start to write down a little plan and then sit down with your partner or your loved one and say, I have something I have to tell you and I'm afraid to tell you because, and then you say that. And then, you know, if they are really truly your partner, they're gonna say, okay, how bad could this be? Because their mind will imagine things a lot worse than credit card debt at this point. And, you know, when you start to have this very honest conversation, I made a mistake, you know, here's what I did, or here's what I came with. Here's my baggage that I just didn't tell you about. They tend to be a little bit more accepting of it, especially if you've got a plan for how you're going to get to, you know, make it right. But I think that, you know, way in the very beginning of your relationship, I would love to see that conversation like, hey, let's sit down and talk money. Here's what I make. Do you know a lot of couples, Steve, they just don't even share what they earn until like at some point in time, way down the marriage, because the money comes into separate bank accounts. They contribute to some joint expense account and people don't even share what they do and what they've made and what they're bringing into a marriage. And I think that that doesn't really set the right table. No, it's sort of like saying, oh, by the way, I have these children that I didn't tell you about. Um, <laughs> <laughs> right. And one of them needs glasses, really, really expensive glasses. <laughs> so, so, but I think, okay, so, I mean, I'm going to make light of actually it can be a very serious situation. So I think, so you say starting out early, ideally, that having these discussions early on, recognizing there, even if you haven't, if you have that discussion, put it out there as a problem to be managed, not something about you, but something that has happened. So, which I think is, you know, it's really basic psychology for dealing with a lot of issues, but, you know, being able to have that conversation, what about once, so you've started that conversation, are there, when you look at all the people you've worked with, are there like, you know, three or so things that most people could do that would really significantly improve their financial situation, sort of, UK, like the standard, have you tried this, have you tried this, have you tried this? 
Yeah, I, I think it's super easy to, to start out with, do you know how much you make and do you know how much you spend? That those two things um, apply to almost everything in, in life, right? So what do you bring in for your day jobs? Do you have sidekick or side hustles that you bring in some money? You know, if you're in a crunch, is there anything you can sell that would bring in some fast cash for you? Um, or is there somewhere you can get money? Can you get a short-term loan, a personal loan? Can you do a home equity loan, a line of credit? And then on the expense side, and you know, we walk people through this in Best Money Moves, you really want to look at kind of the 10 categories of spend. House and home, for example, you've got your utilities and other things that go into it, but it might be child care is a, is a category for you, or maybe it's elder care is a category for you, insurance is a category. These kinds of things just kind of plan it out, right? What is it you're spending every week, every day, every month, every year? And then what we suggest people do is break that into monthly expenditures because most people get paid at least once a month and more likely every two weeks. So how do you then plan out your expenses so they line up with when the income comes in? And if you get that those two numbers side by side and you see what it is you're spending for a change, and most people don't even keep track of that. So you're now tracking it, you really get a chance to see how to make those two numbers balance. And so that's your first step. The second step is take every expense off the table. So you start at zero and you only add in absolutely necessary expenses, food, clothing, shelter, transportation to work, um, insurance, childcare, let's say. And then you see what you have left. And that gets you to a really basic part of, of the plan, right? Because this is what you need to live. And so if you're not even bringing in enough for that, then you can start to make the bigger changes, right? I need to move to a less expensive home, for example, or I need to move in with my parents, <laughs> whatever it is. And then the last thing I would say to you is, is don't be afraid to sort of take the, the income side off the table or look around for other ways to string together enough money to live on. Because today there are a lot of different options that could provide for a lifestyle. And if you start to think about, well, what, what else can I bring to the table? You generally end up in a better place than limiting your options from the get-go. I think, you know, you hit on a couple of things. I think that this idea of people aren't being aware, especially in this era of like, you know, you sign up for the recurring app or whatever. There's so many little ways we can spend money and not be aware of it. And I kind of, as you're talking about going back to that zero, I'm reminded of that Mary Kondo joy of tidying book where you look <laughs> at each object and say, does it bring me joy? But here, look at each expense and says, does it bring me sustenance? <laughs> you know, really simplifying your financial life, which I think it's a really powerful suggestion. Um, the last question is, we're just getting up to time here, is you did mention there, you know, hey, if you can find ways to get more income, which I wouldn't think is the place to start. It's probably the place to start is decrease your spend. But if you can, that often involves talking to your employer. If an employee is struggling with money issues, you know, just going and asking, hey, can I have more money? Probably not going to work. Well, how would you suggest an employee might engage their company, if at all, if they're struggling with money? So what's great about what we see at Best Money Moves is that companies are so much more open to the idea of financial wellness or financial well-being than they were even five years ago when, you know, I started thinking about this company. Uh, and the reason I started Best Money Moves, by the way, is that I, I looked around and I really didn't see 
in the wake of the Great Recession, a place for employees to go, people to go. And they, but they were looking to their employers for this. It, it was from a conversation, actually, with a friend of mine who owns a carpet company. And he has 225 people. And he said, um, I know they're struggling, but they never ask for help. But what could I give them that would help them? And so today we see there's something like 700 different um, independent, standalone, what I would call point solutions in the financial wellness space that all bring different things to the table, whether it's student loan help or it's um, education and technology. Like we have a platform that integrates all of these solutions together. There's advanced pay, uh, different options that are out there, short-term loans, medium-term loans, loans for people who have medical debt. And so all of these different point solutions have, have just literally sprung up from the ground and are now waiting out there. Many, many companies have brought various pieces of them to the table to, to provide what I would call a better holistic financial wellness experience for their employees. So ask if you've got any of those. It could be that your company will help you pay down your student loan debt. They'll give you a platform like Best Money Moves, bring it all together they may, may have a short-term loan situation, even one that they offer uh, for emergencies. And so please go and talk to your employer about that uh, because I think that you might be pleasantly surprised by it. But if that doesn't work, you can always go look for a side hustle. And so many people now have second jobs. In fact, the typical American household has something like 2.3 incomes coming into it. You know, two full-time jobs and then a part-time job somewhere. And there are so many different kinds of side hustles available that you can do at night, on the weekends, early in the morning, that you may want to consider that as a way to augment your income just to get you through the tough time. Well, I think that's good. So there is an opportunity. I think as sort of closing, I think we tend to sometimes have this adversarial relationship with our employers. When in reality, employees are companies in general, they're more aware of the importance of financial well-being and there may be resources available. So I think it's a different way of thinking about it. Well, Elise, this has been great. You've provided us some great thoughts on this. Um, I really appreciate you sh appearing on the podcast. And we'll have more information about Best Money Moves on our show notes and links to other the books and stuff that Elise has provided. So Elise, thank you so much for appearing on Work Matters. It's a pleasure. Thank you, Steve. And thank you, Robert. Wow, Robert, I definitely thought of a bunch of things I should be doing differently from that conversation. What was your takeaway from what Elise shared? Well, I, I just one, I'm just blown away every time I speak with Elise at, at how much she knows and how much practical advice she has for everyone. But I, I think it's interesting that, you know, especially towards the end of the conversation there, it really feels like there are multiple parties that are sort of responsible here for a resolution, right? It's not all just about an employee and uh, how they're handling their financial stress, although clearly that's uh, critical, right? An employee can, uh, you know, tackle debt first. They can find a side hustle like Lyft, as Elise mentioned. But, you know, there's there's also things that companies can be doing to help as well, right? Uh, you know, you should be able to reach out and find out, for instance, like Elise said, if your company has a, a short-term uh, loan program, right? And that can help people to avoid things like predatory lenders by going straight to the company that hopefully they've, uh, they, they trust. Yeah, I think the companies, I think the people that realize companies do think about this a lot. I think the thing that, yeah. that most hit me about what Lisa was talking about is you're not going to solve it if you don't recognize it and manage it and talk about it. And this sort of like taboo right. about 
you know, somehow that if you're in debt, you're a bad person or you're irresponsible. And, you know, she said there's people out there, companies, including credit card companies, whose goal is to get you in debt. That's how they make money. Yeah. <laughs> and they're really well, good at it. Yeah, certainly. Well, <laughs> you know, and isn't you it know, interesting and, and that... Of... Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Sorry. <laughs> oh, I just say, it's just, I think that starting of don't, of don't demonize it. It's an issue everyone struggles with. And, you know, articulate the... The challenge yeah. objectively, and then and then dialogue because you're not going to fix it if you don't talk about it. Yeah, exactly. And I was going to say, isn't it interesting that you know so much of what this boils down to in many ways is psychological, right? She mentioned write down what you're most afraid of before you have the conversation, and and essentially you're practicing by doing that, so you can speak to your significant other, uh, maybe over a glass of wine, right? Uh, but in a relaxed way. And you're sort of prepped ahead of time to uh, to have that conversation and figure out where to go from there. Yeah, it definitely is a difficult conversation, but it is one of those things where, you know, it's funny, people in relationships, we don't talk about it early enough. And I think it is that the, you know, I, I know from my psychological background that it, it is one of the primary sources of stress in relationships is money. So it's right. like any health issues. It's about well-being, and you know the way we talk about it is address it as something to be managed, not something to be hidden or feared. That's right, because you can't let it cascade, right? Because finance issues right. lead to stress and self-esteem issues, which lead to more financial stress and uh, issues, right? Health issues, uh, job-related issues. It can become kind of a, a vicious loop if you don't tackle it right away. And so, well, yeah, well, at that point, I guess, you know, as they say, time is money. And just as I've run out of, we run out of money, we've run out of time today. So, <laughs> uh, Robert, this is great. I, you know, I look forward to the next show it's on Work Matters. So why don't you take us out of here? Thanks for listening to the Work Matters podcast. We will be sure to get more information to you in our show notes. So if you're looking for more information on Best Money Moves, Elise Glink, or SAP, please look no further than that. Thanks for coming, everybody, and don't forget what matters, work matters.